So we're in the midst of these days of prayer and fasting as a congregation leading up to Yom Kippur. And so uh, one of the things I'm, I'm doing this year in, in those days leading up to prayer and fasting was like, okay, I'm going to go to a few people and ask them, what are some areas in my life that I need to be growing in, areas that I need to you know, be improve in? And I used to say a few years ago, brutal honesty is my love language. I don't know if you heard of like the five life languages, right? Like quality time, acts of service. Well, there's words of affirmation. And mine was like, it's a twist on words of affirmation. It's brutal honesty. But the truth is, I like brutal honesty when I feel like I'm in like a 90, right? If, if brutal honesty is going to get me from like a 90 to a 95, I'm all about that. But if brutal honesty means I'm at like a 55, Right, it's not really my love language anymore. Then, then, then I, then I, then I, then, then it's hard for me, right? But uh, during these days of prayer and fasting, I'm like, okay, God, I want you to do a work, especially in me during this time. So uh, I've gone to one person already. I got a list of ten things, and uh, I got a second list on the way of more things uh, from somebody else that I need to be working on. And tonight, as we look at the book in Daniel. We're going to talk about when you get yourself in trouble, right? We've been in a series on the book of Daniel, and we've talked about things like when you have to suffer and it's outside of your control, how do you handle that? Because those are the things that Daniel had to go through. How do you suffer when you suffer for the sake of obeying Yeshua? When you're saying, hey, I can't participate in that, and that's going to bring trouble into your life because you're following Yeshua. But then there's times where we just get ourselves into trouble, and so as I'm, you know, reviewing these lists of these different areas where I need to improve, I can think back and think, yeah, that, that got me into tr some trouble back there, and, and this happened. And, uh, you know, it, it might not be that I can, I can remember back to a situation where maybe one of those things, areas where I need to grow, caused me a little bit of trouble. And it might not be something that I'm 100% responsible for, but I remember growing up, one of the things my dad would say is that when you got an issue with somebody, when you get yourself into trouble, you may not have a hundred percent. You might not be a hundred percent at fault, but take a hundred percent of of responsibility for the areas where you are at fault. Uh, for the areas where you were at fault, take a hundred percent for take a hundred percent responsibility for that. And as I look at these different areas where I need to improve, areas where I need to take a hundred percent responsibility, it's interesting that you know, you know in most cases. The issues and the f character flaws and the sins can usually boil down to one thing, and that's pride. And that's what we see here in Daniel chapter 4, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, and we see that at the root of all of his issues, at the root of what causes pain in his life, at the root of the sins and the character flaws he has is pride. And... Um, for two years, I was in an inner healing and, and deliverance and discipleship school in Tampa LL Ministries. And one thing they would talk about is the difference with sin between the fruit and the root, right? And lots of times we notice the fruit, right? The areas where we react poorly or we, uh, and things like that, areas where we can say, okay, that's a problem. But lots of times there's a root behind that, like a deeper sin that's causing that. And what we see in this chapter of Daniel is that at the root of so many character flaws and issues is pride, right? If all of these maybe sins or character flaws or things, the areas of improvement we have, these are all and usually just symptoms and the disease is pride. And so that's what we see here in Daniel chapter four. We're looking at how do we deal with pride? 
And we're, and we're introducing this chapter to Nebuchadnezzar telling the story of how God dealt with it in his life. And the way that God had to deal with it in his life was seven years of insanity, right? For seven years, he thought he was like cattle. He thought he was like a cow or a bull. And he lives in the field. It says his hair grows out like eagle's feathers. His, his nails grow out. I don't know if any of you guys used to watch X-Men. Uh, but back in the day in the X-Men movies, there was a guy named Sabretooth. Uh, he was enemies with Wolverine, and it kind of looked like that. And what's interesting is it's actually a medical condition, um, uh, boanthropy, where you think you're a bovine or you think you're a cattle. And this is what he goes through. This is a disease he suffered from from seven years. But it, he brought it, it came about on himself because of his pride. And at the end of it, he's grateful to God because greater than this disease he faced was the disease of pride. And though it cost seven years uh, of his life, he's grateful because he looked, that's how God saved me for eternity. It, it was seven years of pain, but that was discipline from God that would have prevented me from pain for all eternity. If you remember back to last week, uh, Mira was talking about the spiritual journey that Nebuchadnezzar goes through. He goes through realizing that the God of Israel is one of the gods, to going, re going through and realizing that the God of Israel is the most high God. And then in this chapter, chapter four, God deals with his pride and he realizes that God is the only God. And he lays down being his own God. And that's what we see in this chapter. But the first thing we, have, we see here is the disease of pride. That the root of so many issues in our life, at the root of so many sins is pride. And C.S. Lewis, he once said in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, on chastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, those are flea bites. Through pride, the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. And so in life, one of the things is I look through all these lists of things that I need to work on. One of the things is that I'm, if I trace them, all these symptoms are going to lead to the root, to the disease of pride. But pride is something that affects all of us. But in Nebuchadnezzar's case, uh, he had more temptation from it because King Nebuchadnezzar at this time, he is the emperor of the entire known world. At this point in his life, every area in the planet that he knows about, he's in complete control. Like, I think historians look at that and say there's maybe only about five or six people maybe in the history of the world who are ever as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar, that in every area of life, in every area that he could think of in every place on the planet that he knew about, he had complete control. And he had built the greatest city on earth. And so he, his palace is in, is in Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq now, and it says he had three palaces. He built one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens of Babylon, like basically a man-made mountain. And, you know, comparing, like, the world today to the world then, Looking back then, compared to the rest of the world, it was greater than what New York City is today, right? Compar comparatively, it was a more populated, bigger city, more technologically advanced, and Nebuchadnezzar had built it all. And so one day he's out looking, and he says, in one of the palaces in his kingdom, and he's looking out over everything, this huge city that he built himself this kingdom, this empire that spans the known world that he conquered himself. And he says at that moment, he says, is this not the Babylon that I have built 
as a royal residence by my mighty power and by the glory of my majesty. And so this is what we see here as if we want to kind of look at how, how do we define pride, it's in this statement. He says, I built this by my power for my glory. And if we look at these two things, we see what pride is. That what pride is, it says, is that everything that I have that's good, I deserve it. That I, it's owed to me. It's basically, I've heard Tim Keller talk about it, as cosmic plagiarism. That we take credit for everything that we have. That everything that we have at this time was because that we deserve it, because we've earned it. And yet one of the lessons that God has to teach Nebuchadnezzar in this chapter is that everything we have in life, every, every good thing that we have is not because we deserve it, not because we're entitled to it, not because we earned it, but it's a gift from God, right? Because we can look at our lives and think we, we earn this, we deserve it, but almost everything we have, at its root, it comes from God. Like we can think, okay, I have the things I have because I worked harder, because I worked smarter, maybe because I was more ethical, right? And good karma happened to me. But the reality is, is that there are so many things we have we can't take responsibility for, right? Right, if, if we can work smarter, right? We can't take responsibility for our brains or intelligence, right? Good genes, right? We can't take responsibility for that, right? We can't take responsibility for what the country we were born in and the opportunities that we have because of that or the century that we were born in, being born, you know, in the 20th or 21st century compared to being born during, like, the bubonic plague and things like that, right? We can't take credit for the, fi for the century we were born into, for the country we were born into, for the genes that we have. There are pe we can think, okay, I had this because I worked harder, but the reality is life is there are people in other areas who work harder than us who work smarter than us, who are kinder people than us, and yet they don't have the opportunities that we have had. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he sees the greatness of his kingdom, but what he doesn't get is that he thinks he got it by his power, but the reality is, is that the best things we have in life are by the power and the grace and the goodness of God, and we can't take credit. And so we see here this formula for pride that it's right, it's by my power and for my glory, rather than realizing that every good thing we have is by God's power, by his grace, and that it's about his glory. And so the first thing we see here is this disease of pride can infect everything we do. But then the question then becomes is how do we deal with pride, right? And, and the antidote is humility, but Humility is this elusive thing, right? Because you can't, you can't like go directly after it, right? I want to be more humble, right? We can't say, okay, now I've reached it. I'm now the most humble person I know, right? Humility is this weird virtue that we can't just seek out like every other virtue. It's elusive. It's different. And yet what we have with this virtue of humility is the question is how do we cultivate humility, right? Over and over again in the scriptures, it says, humble yourself before God, right? It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And yet the question is, how do we develop humility when it is so hard to develop? Because once you think you have it right, you lost it, right? <laughs> how, do we, how do we become humble? 
But in the words that Daniel uh, tells to Nebuchadnezzar in this passage, he lets his son in the secret to humility, the antidote of humility. And so if we read in Daniel 4, he's telling him what's going to happen. And so in Daniel 4, verse 22, it says, he says, you will be driven away from people and will dwell with wild animals. You'll feed on grass like an ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass until you know that the Most High God is sovereign over the realm of mankind and gives it to whoever he wishes, right? There's these two parts. He is sovereign over mankind and he gives it to whoever he wishes. And I, and I realized that it, it kind of matches this definition of humility I got a few years ago uh, by a Jewish believer, Jerry Rutkin. Uh, he had passed away, but he was an early Jewish believer in the Messianic movement. And what he had said was, what humility comes down to is neediness plus awe. This sense of personal neediness that God, I am dependent upon you, that I'm desperate for you, that I need you, God. If apart from your grace, apart from you giving me breath, apart from you giving me life, apart from you giving me salvation, I got nothing. It's this neediness plus this awe and wonder of God. Because unless we have also this awe and wonder part, we're just focused on ourselves. But the beauty of humil humility is that it liberates us to forget ourselves and to focus on the wonder and the beauty of God. And this is what happens after the end of these seven years in Nebuchadnezzar's life where he's able to say, where it says he looks up to heaven, and it says that I, he says, I looked up to heaven, my sanity returned to me, so I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever. He praises God. For, he's in awe of God now. And the thing about this is, this is, this is about, he says he praises God. And I was reflecting on these words from John Piper, and he says it's not just about pondering God's glory and his sovereignty, it's praising it. Right? It goes beyond just thinking about it. It involves our emotions where we holistically, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, praise God. And when we have a sense of both our personal neediness and a sense of awe of God, of wonder, that involves all of us praising God, that is what gets humility. When we focus on him, right? they say humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's when we're liberated from focusing on ourselves to thinking about God, right? Because when it comes down to it, pride and insecurity are like two sides of the same coin, right? Pride says, I deserve this, this was owed to me. And insecurity is also looking at myself, looking at I, I don't have what I don't have, right? Insecurity or self-pity says, I, I don't have what I should have, noticing your flaws. But if, if, you're, if we're dealing with pride or insecurities, two sides of the same coin, the focus is on ourselves. But humility is something different. Humility isn't an insecurity. Humility isn't just being overwhelmed with our flaws. It's the focus comes off of ourself and onto God with a sense of how awesome he is, of how amazing he is. And so Nebuchadnezzar realized this, this in this chapter. He realizes his neediness and an awe for God. But for us, as we want to look at, okay, how do I develop humility? The ultimate thing that can call us to recognize our neediness and to be in awe of God 
is the good news. That there is nothing else that can bring us humility without deflating us, right? That with the good news, we have this sense of I am in complete need for God. That I deserve his judgment. That the flaws I want to overlook are actually serious. That the sins I just want to push under the rug actually matter. And yet at the same time, we have this sense of awe for a God whose love knows no bounds, who would come down and send the Messiah to die in our place, to be tortured, to die so that we could live and resurrect from the dead so that we can have life. That when it comes to being in awe of God, the greatness and goodness of God is on its best display in the good news of Yeshua. And so for us, as we want to say, how do we get the antidote to the disease of pride? It's looking to Yeshua, looking to the good news. And when we see him, we can see our neediness without being overwhelmed by it because we see how awesome he is in dying for our sins, giving us life, and giving us his unconditional love. And so this is how we can move from pride to humility. This is what Nebuchadnezzar does in this chapter. But as we want to look for what's the evidence of humility, right? I think about it, okay, the disease is pride. The antidote is humility. But what can we do to look at ourselves and to gauge that humility, right? I think about it, what's the antibody testing, right? How can we see that we've got humility, right? And what I, what I find so fascinating is these words that Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. He tells him, this is going to happen to you because of your pride. He says in chapter 4, verse 24, Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Renounce your sins through righteousness and your iniquities through showing mercy to the poor. So if this is like the antibody testing, he's looking for two things. He says the two things to show that you've turned from iniquity and sin, that you've renounced that, right, that you've gotten over the disease, is righteousness and showing mercy to the poor. And so what I see here is two aspects to it, two things to look for, living right and then showing mercy. That when we want to look for, okay, have I received the good news? Have I been in awe of Yeshua? The two things that should do is then we look at our lives and we say, now I want to obey Yeshua. Now I want to live a, a life in response, a life that says the grace of God is also the power to live a new transformed life. And then what it is, is not only living rightly, living right, but then showing mercy. That when you, when you can see humility in others, right, the antibody testing to see humility is that they show mercy to others, Right? that when they deserve something, they don't give it to them, right? When somebody deserves to maybe get a talking back to, when someone deserves something, you don't give them what they deserve, you show mercy. That when we can look at other people, rather than criticizing them for maybe things that are true, we can show mercy. But what's interesting is he gets specific, Daniel, he doesn't just say showing mercy, he says showing mercy to the poor. And one of these things in this antibody testing for humility is that humility leads to these other things, right? Humility radiates these other virtues. Just like pride is at the root of all these sins, humility is at the root of all these virtues, right? It says righteousness comes from humility, right? 
when we recognize what Yeshua has done and when we're all of it, it transforms us, giving us the grace and power to live righteously, but it also transforms us to be able to show mercy to the poor and live generously. That actually one of the ways to see humility is actually generosity. That when we're able to say that the money I have and the resources I have are a gift from God like everything else, it liberates us to give to others. Not because they deserve it, but because we've been given a gift we don't deserve. The evidence that the good news has transformed us is lives of generosity. And so Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, turn from pride, turn from this disease, and the evidence of that is going to be living right, showing mercy, and showing mercy to the poor. And the reality and the good news for us is that if we follow Yeshua, we have got this picture of Yeshua to lead us to humility. That when we trust in him, God gives us his grace to be able to live right. He gives us the power to live a transformed life and he, ge- and he liberates us to be able to live a life of showing mercy and living generosity. And so as we go into this last song of worship, it's this opportunity for us as Jillian comes up to lead us in this worship. It's this opportunity for us to say, God, I have pride, <laughs> right? The reality of pride, right? It's this strange disease. I heard someone say, right, pride is this strange disease because you don't know you have it and it makes everybody else sick. And so the reality of the matter is that we all got a little bit of Nebuchadnezzar in us. We all got a little bit of pride. And the reality of the good news and what we can do during this time of worship is say, God, open my eyes to the pride that is in my own heart. But thank you, God, that I don't have to live stuck there. That in Yeshua, I can recognize the neediness I have. Open my eyes again to my neediness of you, God. Where I'm desensitized to that, open my eyes again to my raw neediness of you, God. And then open my eyes to the awe of Yeshua, of what his death and resurrection means. And as we look to Yeshua, as we look to how he died in our place, as he submitted to the Father and sacrificed his life, it liberates us to surrender our life to God and to live anew. Nebuchadnezzar got a new lease on life, and he says that after this time when his eyes were opened, he became greater than ever before. Right? The good news is that God can not only heal us of our pride, but that after we, after we give it and lay it down to him, he can use us in great ways. But he can't do that until we lay down our pride. But as we look to the humility of Yeshua, he transforms us to live a life of humility like him by his grace. And so if you'll pray with me. Father, thank you that you liberate us with your grace. God, would you show us our need of you and the gift that we have in you. In Yeshua's name, amen.